I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to try to understand God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. I'm standing here with Connor, 7th grade, 13, all the way from Farmington, Utah. He's, uh, he's seen Heart of the Matter, watching it with his dad a few times, decided to come and visit us. It's great to have a youngster in the house because uh, they always bring new life. Now listen, Connor... I asked you what you were into, and what did you tell me? I said drawing. He draws a little bit. He also has a very funny T-shirt on. It's about a Death Star. It said, I had friends on that Death Star. (laughs) And Connor, um, what else are you into? Do you have a girlfriend? No. What's her name? Uh, No. How long have you been dating? Less. (laughs) (laughs) Connor does have a number of brothers and sisters. How many siblings? Uh, I have four siblings in total. Total of four, and you are second youngest or second oldest? Second oldest. And is the uh, the sibling older than you? Uh, older than you, a girl or a boy? A boy. I see. You have an older brother. Mm-hmm. Who's tougher? Uh, probably him. Okay, you're a smart kid too. Good to meet you, Connor. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Before we uh, begin, I'm been impressed to share a couple things with you. One's an experience that I had last week, and the other. Uh, just a point for your consideration. A few months ago, we had a young man email us and say, hey, uh, I want to be baptized. Uh, Sean, would you baptize me? And we probably, every month, every other month, we get a request for baptism. And uh, I typically don't treat them too urgently because I have thought that people ought to experience water baptism where they uh, are going to go to church and the people who are in church with them, uh, you get baptized in front of them and you let them know that you're a believer. And, and it's not that you have to do that, but we just try to let the pastor, the church, wherever a person's from do it. So I didn't respond to Robert's request. And uh, other than to say, yeah, we'll work on it. Well, he persisted and he persisted. So I gave in and we set a, a place in time. I have a friend who works at a local hotel and uh, he's going to go unnamed and uh, it's downtown Salt Lake City, and we, we decided on Saturday night we would use the jacuzzi in that hotel. And uh, I went down there, and it was swarming with LDS people. There was some kind of LDS event going on. There were a lot of very well-dressed people, and there were some other uh, uh, events um, going on at the same time. And uh, so I kind of felt like a, a, a gorilla at a, at a cotillion. I mean, I wasn't dressed well, and, and, and they're all over the place. And this, uh, you can almost see the temple uh, from the location of this hotel. I don't know if you can or not. Anyway, 
uh, it's all right there. And I walk into the lobby and there's Robert and he's in a t-shirt and he's in a pair of shorts and he has his towel. He doesn't have a change of clothes. He'd just come from work. And, and I come to find out that he used to be LDS and he has a three-year-old son and he works two jobs as a security guard in both places to try to make ends meet to help support the son who was taken from him when uh, his uh, wife uh, found out he didn't believe in the church anymore. So we had, we had a disparity between two worlds here. We had the finely dressed hub bustling around near Temple Square. And then we had me and Robert who were going to go into a jacuzzi and, 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 and I was going to get to baptize him. Well, my friend on a day that he wasn't working, he actually came down and to let us in and some people were in the jacuzzi. And so we looked outside and there's a, there's a pool outside and uh, it was covered and closed for the winter. And uh, we said, well, let's just give that a go. So we pulled the, 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 the cover back. My friend pulled the cover back. And uh, Robert and I got into the coldest water I have felt since I was a Boy Scout. And, uh, and before we did it, we asked our friend who's a believer to pray. And he prayed. And it was three men standing out on the cold deck and my friend prays and thanks God and he gets choked up and then Robert and I quietly get into the water it's just us and I Robert professes his love for the Lord Jesus Christ there was no fanfare I have no authority to do it other than I'm a believer there was no membership form to fill out there was no baptismal interview to happen it was just the three of us and after I baptized him, we got out, we got dressed, we prayed. Here's a picture of Robert and I in that pool. That's after, uh, that's right before he was baptized. You can see we pulled it back. And I, I was greatly blessed to participate in this beautiful rite and ritual that God established for those who outwardly want to show what they inwardly are about. And it was all amidst the presence, the, the overbearing presence of religion surrounding us. Uh, very, very interesting experience. And um, it leads me to an associated point that I want to share, and that is I love the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the associations I've been blessed with through it. The people. I love our King. I love those who, who follow Christ Jesus. I love the Word of God. I make it part of my constant daily life. And amidst all the criticisms that the ministry gets and my views on things that are called into question, I really want everyone to know that my intentions are not to hinder the faith, but to help it. That's why we do what we do. It's not to destroy faith. It's to try to inoculate it against things I believe will destroy it. And so I hope it will last into the ages, and I hope that the traditions of men uh, won't destroy the beauty that it represents. So please know, please let me affirm that I love God, I love His Son, I love His Word, and I try to love others as a result. We're going to start getting down and dirty on some things in the next few weeks. Some of those things are going to sting. Uh, relative to the Bible's application and what the Bible and how we see it, etc. 
And it's going to be offensive to some, uh, but it's all in an honor to seek truth, seek the King, and uh, follow Him in spirit and in truth. So with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You in Jesus' name for the faith that You've given us for life and for the opportunity to explore things freely in a country where we can have our divergent religious beliefs and not be uh, sequestered and, or put in prison or suffer death. We praise you and we seek your spirit to guide us. Forget the things that are mentioned or said by me or callers or anyone else that is not true. Help us to seek you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I think we made a pretty good case for the fact that despite all the external differences between denominations, Christian denominations, denominations that haven't altered the gospel message, uh, we all promote the same gospel, the same good news as defined by the Bible. And I hope we can agree on that point at least. However, we've had a few emails from that and that have suggested that, listen, Sean, you're criticizing the churches and you're saying there's a better way, here's a better way, and, and they've said all you're really doing is starting just another denomination. And that denomination will get legs and men will become part of that denomination and that approach and pretty soon it will become an entity unto itself and it too will become repulsive to people who don't like denominations. So it's a really, really valid point. <coughs> and it's worth taking a few minutes to discuss. When I was in Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, there was a time when, it was a time when there was a lot of question about whether Calvary Chapel was a denomination or not. See, Chuck Smith, who pretty much founded it, he worked real hard at one time for the church not to be denominationally inclined. And he did a pretty good job for a while protecting their approach to doing church from being a denomination. And, uh, and it was more like just everybody come and everybody just enjoy what we're doing. And they, they really tried to, to keep it open. Uh, of course, the inevitable did occur with Calvary Chapel. And... Uh, and most assuredly, churches that bear the Calvary Chapel name today are, in fact, a definite denomination. Uh, much of the fault lies with Chuck Smith, a man I greatly admire. But you see, he posted something in a pamphlet that was called Calvary Chapel Distinctives. And it's a series of positions that serve to define what Calvary Chapels are about. And those distinctives say, if you want to use the Calvary Chapel name, and if you want to use the Calvary Chapel logo, which is a dove, descending, that's their logo, not the cross, uh, it's the dove. If you want to use those two things, you have to concur with our distinctives. And so in the table of contents of an actual pamphlet, little book called Calvary Chapel Distinctives, authored by Chuck Smith later on, um, you can read what the pastors must teach and must support in order to use the Calvary Chapel logo and name. The topics include, we have a graphic, God's model for the church, church government and what, how they see it, empowerment by the Holy Spirit, building the church God's way, how they see that should be done, stance on grace, priority of the word, Calvary chapels are big on teaching the word, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. Now that's a must, that's a, that's a futuristic pre-trib position. Have to do it if you're a Calvary chapel. Having begun in the spirit, Supremacy of love, striking the balance, ventures of faith. I'm not going to go in and try to articulate what all those little categories mean, but they are distinctives of being a Calvary Chapel, and they do represent now Calvary Chapel's denomination because of the distinctives. 
So let's be fair. Denominations are inevitable whenever people sit down and read the Bible and disagree on what it has to say. So I think if you really think about it, Jesus, when he said, if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. When Jesus said that, he established a denomination right then and there. With those words, he divided the world up into two parts. Those who believe that he is the I am and don't die in their sins. And those who reject that he is the I am and die in their sins. That is a division. That's a split. So you have heard me say on numerous occasions that I am against denominationalism in the body of Christ. Is it possible to avoid it? No and yes. And that's what I want to kind of explain. We, can, we can't avoid belonging to a denomination as Christians. That denomination is known as the body of Christ. Those who believe that Jesus is and the gospel that he represented as we talked about last week. To be a part of it, there are doctrines, there are points of, of the gospel that divide its members from the rest of the world. The rest of the world says, I can get to heaven. There is no heaven, whatever about heaven. Christians say the only way to heaven is by Christ Jesus. The gospel is what saves and faith, grace by faith, all that type of stuff. So I would suggest that belonging to this singular denomination uh, is based on spiritual factors between the individual believers and God, but it is a denomination. We call it the body of Christ. Okay, can't be avoided. There is going to be a separation, okay? But once a person has become a member of that body, by faith, I would suggest there is an approach that we can look to that will avoid any further division. That in that body, we truly are one faith with one baptism, with one Lord, and we are unified. And there's no splitting up. There's no finger pointing. There's no, I'm better than you. There's no this. That is the thing I'm uh, uh, suggesting. And it, is, it avoids denominationalism from happening. Okay? The way has existed since Christ sent the Holy Spirit. And it's high time believers orbit around this method rather than what has historically happened in the body, and that is denominationalism, sectarianism, and division, and splits, and accusation, and judgment of who the better Christians are, etc. So, as people have said on occasion, aren't you to start another denomination? I think the better question ought to be, what makes what you are suggesting any different in the end result or at the beginning from what everybody else has done in the past 2,000 years, and let me try to explain. And I want to do it by going to this board. So first, the method that we endorse is not any different than what has always happened. Individual believers coming to know Christ. That's there. All we're doing is pointing out that this has been going on by virtue of the Holy Spirit ever since it fell on the day of Pentecost. God, through the Holy Spirit, has been calling people out and putting them in his body. That's it. Okay, we start with that. Secondly, in pointing out what has always made up the body of Christ, we simultaneously allow, as the body, for all of the things that have been going on for the past 2,000 years to naturally deconstruct. We don't cause them to deconstruct. We don't force them to deconstruct. We just say, we're all one body. 
We don't care if you're an Arminianist, a Calvinist, a Futurist, a Preterist, a, a thisist or a thatist. If you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the Bible as the word of God, you are welcome in that body and all the other stuff is, is going to die a natural death. And the natural deconstruction will begin once believers begin to read the Bible as having been fulfilled, as having the Bible now as a spiritual guide to us rather than the physical guide. So let me start by taking and breaking out the major factors that play into brick and mortar denominationalism. We have traditional objective, that means this is the way you do things, do it our way, Christianity. We call it the Methodist, the Baptist, the Reformed, Church of Christ, on and on and on, okay? They teach a gospel, the same gospel as this group, and they believe the Bible is the authority on physical church matters. This is the problem because that causes division. Now, here are some of the things that this group divides on, okay? They divide on, I'm going to bring this over, authority and ordination. They divide on baptism, both water and spirit. I'll put W and S. They, there's arguments on which is which and how it works and how it's necessary. The mode, I mean, it goes on and on and on. They divide on confession of sin to who it is, how it goes about on church governance. If you are uh, denominationally led, if you are elders board led, if you're an Episcopos led, all of that divides. Women's roles or lack thereof. Um, dress, diet, standards, grooming, um, forbidden lifestyles, um, dating. There are groups that say no dating until you get married. Um, tithes and offerings and how much money you pay and how you pay it and the way you pay it. We go on. We have um, Sabbath day differences. This is all from reading the same Bible that is the authority. All of this, and there are 35,000, they say, of these going on today. 35,000. It's unbelievable. Okay, so we have Sabbath day ideas. There are some who say you got to still keep it. It's Sunday. There's political activism that goes on depending on the church you go to. There's soteriological, soteriological ideas, and that is how are you saved? And we have differences of people who read the same Bible believing how you are saved. And it, it, it's not just a simple thing. Some believe you are saved by grace and faith, by faith. Some people believe it's faith and works. Some people believe that your works have to justify your faith. Some people say it's just grace. Forget about it. They call hyper, hyper grace. Some believe it's God who picks. Some believe it's you who picks. Soteriology is huge and it's done nothing to add to this, but add to this 35,000 denominational difference. Service form, service, how you do service. 
Uh, music, boy, that one splits all kinds of people up. How we pray, and if there are rope prayers, um, there are churches that demand service hours, and if they don't demand them, they expect them and they keep track of them. How to build a building. Does it have windows to the outside, or does the architecture completely uh, exclusive and no outside views? It just depends. There's programs, I'm going to just put it in here, uh, for singles, for people who are addicted, for young adults. There's, there's armies, the Salvation Army. There are, I mean, it, there are people who focus on the youth programs and have nothing for the, for the marrieds. There are uh, young single adults that are involved. All of these things are part and parcel of men saying, we have read the Bible, this is how you do it, okay? Let me see if there's any more in here. Oh, uh, rules for discipline. That's huge. There are churches that tell you how to discipline your children, how to discipline your teens, and there's churches that discipline their members based on how they are reading uh, that book as well. Fasting, gifts of the Spirit, that's a huge one. Speaking in tongues, um, healings, uh, all of that stuff. Stances on the ontology of God, ideas on hell, uh, adopting the teachings of men. There's some people who follow Knox, the Scottish uh, Knox on down through then Calvin. There are people who uh, follow Jacobus Arminius. There are people who follow uh, whatever, whoever, okay? All of them out there. Chuck Smith, there, whatever it is, all right? So I mean the list can get pretty tedious and and therefore divisive, with most using the Bible to substantiate their claims and justify breaking off and dividing from, from another group. And typically, not always, but typically, that break off leads to the group who breaks off saying, they are not in God's favor. We've left them because of that. That's how we got to that number. And then looking down on a brother or sister for the differences on all of these debatable issues. The only thing that's not debatable here is the gospel. And you can say that's as liberal as you can get. It might be. But that is what we look to, right? Okay, so go back with me over here now. Subjective Christianity, where the individual believer is responsible to God for what they believe. What does the subjective Christian model that I'm proposing do? It teaches the Bible. It does not get authority from the Bible. It teaches what the Bible says, and it teaches the different views that come with what the Bible says. If you come to end times, a good subjective Christian church would say, this is how the preterists see it. This is how the futurists see it. This is how the amillennialists see it. And they present as many of the things. When you come to issues of soteriology, you say, this is how Calvin teaches it. You can say, as the pastor, I don't agree with that. Some of you might. And this is how Arminius uh, sees it. I don't agree with it. Some of you might. This is how I see it. You don't have to agree with me. But you teach. And you give the individual the ability within the church to decide by the Spirit and what's right with their conscience what they're going to believe. You're not teaching another gospel. This is one and the same. You're teaching the same things that we said the gospel was last week. Okay, so then you might say, okay, if that's how you do it, what do you do when it comes to uh, authority 
and, and ordination. Uh, none. Those who want to teach and those who will wish to listen. Look at the church will exist by people voting with their feet. If a pastor, male or female, in, in the body of Christ, there's no difference between uh, male and female, bond and free, colors, races. We are one body. If someone believes they have been called to teach and they get up to teach and the audience does not agree with them, guess what the audience does? They vote with their feet. They say, we don't agree with that. We don't like how that goes. They raise their hand and say, I don't agree with that. And the pastor can say, well, then, then you ought to. And then they're going to vote with their feet. That's all it is. There's not doctrines and authorities saying, you better, because this is, the, it's just, this is how I see it. And, and it's tough. But if the, past, if the pastor teacher is spirit-led and the people there are moved by the spirit, they will stay with that which is true and they will discard that which is not. Baptism, if people want it, if the spirit leads to have it, the mode, who cares? It's emblematic. If someone says, I want to be sprinkled, you sprinkle them. If someone says, because we have evidence of sprinkling being in the Bible. If you have someone say, I want to be uh, uh, immersed, you can say, as someone who's teaching the Bible, I believe that's the best way. You're being buried with Christ. Let's do it. But you accommodate because it isn't about the physical anymore. It's about the spiritual. And if the spirit in the person says, I want to be baptized, and they don't have the capacity to get in a body of water, sprinkling or pouring might have to suffice. Do you see what happens when you get rid of, this is how it has to be done, and you open it up to, we do what we need to do? Okay. Uh, what about confession? If it helps somebody and they want to confess to you, they confess to you, you say, listen, I have no authority. Go to, make sure you go to God with this. If I can counsel you or help you, church governess, for what? What do you have church governess for? All you're doing is getting together and teaching the Bible. You might have some people who are over finances if people choose to donate. You might have somebody who's over cleaning the building. You might have somebody who's over doing the refreshments, if that's what you want. But you don't need a big church governess. You don't need some top-down thing. You, the authority is Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. The authority is not the man or woman who teaches. You see, we can make this shift and we can survive this nightmare that ha is, has destroyed, uh, in my opinion, the church. Women's roles, same as men's, in every way. In every single way. It's a misogynistic approach we've used because that was what was needed then to take that now and say it still goes on is against what the Bible says. The Bible says we are all equal in the body of Christ. Dress and grooming, huh? Diet and forbidden, what? Uh, forbidden and allowed lifestyles, which if Christianity is subjectively lived and guided by the Holy Spirit and physical applications or man-made authority is gone, where does lifestyle policing begin and end? Where, how do you do it? Are you, do pastors really believe that they're keeping the body clean of Christ by telling a divorced couple that the, uh, who have married each other that they're not allowed to be there? And you can just take it from that point because they can use the Bible this way to support their position and you can carry it out to any lifestyle you want. I mean, I remember being questioned about my sexual practices with my wife when I was LDS. They got that invasive with us then, that invasive to see what was going on. It was at a time, they've discarded that since, 
but it shows you how managerial churches will get when they get the power. It shouldn't be that way. It should be subjectively applied. Church hierarchy, like I said, I don't see it. Tithing, giving, you, you put a box up. If someone wants to give, they will. If they want to give uh, secretly, they'll give you cash. If they want to give for a write-off, they'll write you a check. If they want to, if they, uh, want to receipt at the end of the year, those checks are gathered up by your finance person, and the finance person uh, does it. It's the pastor does it. You keep a separation between the teacher and the finances. It's so simple. Why can't it be that way? Oh, God. Um, everything by the Spirit, never by the flesh. You're not passing out things to collect funds. You're not petitioning for this building drive. You're not building up the physical material church. You're not saying we have a poor family who needs your help. Can you give? It's a game that's played in the churches. I was part of it, and I used to go and speak when I, would, uh, when I had the books that I'd authored, and people would say, come and speak at the church. The pastors sometimes would say, Sean, Sean, we want to hold a love offering for you. And I'd say, no. And when I first got into it, I didn't know what that meant. I'd say, okay. So they do a love offering. And, th and they would come, and they would, and they would gather up money from everybody. We're doing a love offering to support Sean and his ministry. And then at the end of the thing, they would give me a check from the church for $200. I'd say, thank you so much. That is so kind only to find out they, they raked in two grand. But the love offering was to support me, a portion of it. The rest of it was to support them. It's a financial game. That's what Templeton discovered when he got involved. It's a game that is played. You get rid of that when you don't take offerings, when you don't request demands for money, when you have no reason but the Spirit to give, and if the Spirit doesn't move you, you don't do it. And if you don't survive financially, you close the frickin' doors. You can say, we're not making it. We got to go. That's it. How come we can't do that? Because we make it a brick and mortar institution that we have to feed. And it becomes this monolithic idea and it's sick. Soteriological stances, they're all taught. Teach them all. We have nothing to fear. Teach them all. You can throw your bias in there. Uh, rules for disciplinary counsel for what? What are you disciplining somebody over? Doesn't God discipline? Doesn't he, isn't the spirit grieved? All of the other stuff. Teach all that you can. Inform the congregants. Let them know what things are. You can give your bias, but you can say, this is my bias. You choose. The congregants, born again, possessing the Holy Spirit, will discern what is truth and what is not. Get it? Okay, Mags, get up here. Mags, now, run. We have a new board eraser lady known as Kathy Maggie. All the board eraser ladies that we have are all under five feet, so they have a problem reaching the top of the board. Uh, Kathy Maggie will kill me for saying this, but she does more in this volunteer system. I, see, she's telling me to shut up. I've never asked her to do anything. She cleans this place. She runs the kids. She brings refreshments. She does all that stuff. How blessed we are to have someone who has taken upon themselves to do those things. We have Merle sitting in the cage. He has directed the show for eight years, willingly. He's never gotten a dime for doing it. We have Seth who's come in and helped on his own. We have Wendy who answers the phones because they want to. We have Derek and Danita running the whole ministry all by themselves, and they have never, they just, they just do it. 
You see, how, how come everyone thinks you got to have all this structure and all this in place and have board meetings and have paid salary and everything? For what? We don't have it. We just have people who want to serve and want to help. They come in and they do it. Like she just erased that board. I did have to get on her case a little bit, but, but she did. All right. One final point, and then we're going to go to this next thing. Let's just say the entire world embraced this, this subjective Christianity. Let's say there was a revolution of the Spirit, and every pastor, reverend, preacher woke up and said, we are going to do away with this former system. We're going to downgrade. We're going to start. We're going to get rid of our assets. We're going to give it to the poor. We're going to help the community more physically with the poor and the widows and the fatherless. And we're going to get, take our focus off the physical. And we're just going to teach the Bible. We're going to let people relax, come and go as they are, and decide how they want to. Let's say the whole world decides to do that, okay? And the churches deconstruct, the walls come down. You know what will happen? What will happen is somebody along the road, after the miracle happens of this freedom in Christ occurs, somebody will say, we need to organize some of these people. There, there needs to be some rules. We had some, we had some Christians smoking cigarettes outside the gathering. Yeah, that can't be. I don't think God wants us defiling our bodies. We need to, we need to start, we need to petition that there's no cigarette smoking allowed outside the building. And there's a segment of that little church that will say, that's right, we're tired of walking through that smoke. So, and then there's a division. And from that grand spirit-led worldwide movement where everybody deconstructed, one church is gonna pop up and say, we need to organize this and do it our way. And men then get involved. That is what happened when Constantine said, we need to organize this church. That's what happened. And we had the Roman church, and then we had the Eastern Orthodox, and we had it passed down, and we had all of that stuff going on. That's what happened when men got involved. Did God know it? Of course he did. But it doesn't mean we don't resist it now. And it doesn't mean we don't try to change. So, and then what would happen then is that one group would see, you know, the non-smoker organized group over there are doing pretty well. I think we ought to have a non-drinker one over here. And then they like, to, like the autonomy that that one pastor and the authority and the control he has over there. So he starts his, and we end up with the whole same thing again. So I use that as an example just to show you where we are today. It's no different. It's the same exact thing. Because it's what men do. It's what Constantine did. And lazy, I'm sorry, lazy, fearful people who don't want to take responsibility for their own thoughts and actions before God, fill the pews of those churches because they don't want to be responsible for their own thoughts, their own mind, their own relationship to the Holy Spirit. They don't want that. They want this guy telling them, the authority is here, do it this way, and they do it, they check their brain out, and they think that they're justified, but they're not. And they'll stand before God because God will say, my spirit directed you, and you listened to men, you feared men, you are lazy rather than seeking me out yourself, okay? So, um, I hope that makes some sense. What if someone came along, let's say, and said, we're going to embrace this model here. And they said, you know, I like, we're going to call it Model X. They do it over at campus. We're, we're over here. We're going to do it too. But you know what? I'm a Calvinist. 
that the pastor says. Billy says, I'm a Calvinist. And I say, well, I'm not, but so what? Well, I'm going to teach the Bible through my Calvinist eyes. Go ahead. And if people continue to come and they believe that's the way and the Holy Spirit leads them, fine. If not, they'll leave. You don't have to reinforce your ideas by putting laws upon them and rules upon them. Teach what you believe the Bible's saying, by all means. Whatever doctrine or point it is, by all means do it. But, but just, just don't limit your audience to say that's the only way. Teach always and give people a choice. All right? So there's that. Having erased the board, thank you, Kathy Maggie. I'm going to start tonight, and we're going to use this board as representing 2,000 years of history of the church. Okay? This entire whiteboard began at 30 uh, AD and continues on to 2015 AD. All right? Right in the very center, we have this history. You ready? We have an account of the creation. We have an account of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have an account of the nation of Israel being established, temple rites and rituals, Leviticus. We have the arrival of the promised Messiah. And we have the life, death, and resurrection recorded in the Gospels of the Messiah. We have the Pauline epistles. We have the giving of the Holy Spirit. We have the apostles uh, writing their other um, uh, epistles to the house of Israel, warning them of Christ's imminent coming and return. And we have, if you believe in, if you, well, you can't, it's not you can't believe, we have the destruction of Jerusalem. There is the biblical account for the 2,000 years. By the time we're done in two weeks, this board is going to be filled with what we've done with it of offshoot thoughts and beliefs. And you're going to see how this single solitary, what we could say is really a summary of the good news, how it is turned into anything but. Anything but. The good news is all it is. But it is now anything but good news. It's bad news in my opinion. So, just try to remember, we're going to go with that little dot, and next week we're going to branch out. Kathy, Maggie, what did you put on this board? We're going to branch out, and you're going to see what has happened in the first 250 years. And then you're going to see what has happened in the first 1,000 years. And then in the first 1,200 years. And then in 1,500 years. And you're going to be astonished what men have done all in the name of that simple message. You remember what 1 Corinthians says? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What does it say? I think we have a graphic. Merle, bring that graphic up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says... Someone, i got to put my glasses on. Yeah. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brother, and how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and those things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
So by small means, this little tiny dot, by small means, God has revolutionized the world spiritually in the hearts of men and women for 2,000 years. But all around it, we have the mighty and the strong and the powerful and all of these movements in physical brick and mortar trying to step in and help God and show God that they're doing it right. And it's been a mistake. So we'll go from there. With that, let's uh, take a second, take a look at this spot. We'll come back and take your calls. Gillian, how much time? All right, we're back. <laughs> uh, we have David on line one from Salt Lake City, Utah. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, David. You're on the air. Jace. Yes. You're on the air, my friend. Hello. Hello. Hey, um, Sean. Yeah. It's been, well, I, I know this might be for a couple, uh, couple of years ago or not, when you were still talk, talking about epistemology. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned in your sermon uh, what they... Uh, you mentioned you mentioned in this in the sermon what all the different uh, Christian pastors, pastors, uh, shepherds, of, reverends, whatever they are. I'm using pastor as a general name. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, they it all boils down to whichever's who, who's telling the truth, right? Uh, no, I don't think it boils down to who's telling the truth because men are fallible and none of us tell the truth perfectly. So I don't think it boils down to who's telling the truth. We don't know the truth when it comes to the ontology of God. That's why well, what I meant when I what I meant about that is um, with like Jesus and say, uh, like uh, Mormonism, Muslims, all those different groups, um, whenever they're talking about God, they're trying to, you know, how, how do you get saved? Is it through works? Is it through Jesus? Is it a mix? And so um, it all boils down to who's telling the truth. And I thought that when Jesus, I mean, there, there's a, the difference is with Jesus, um, he, he, he performs miracles. Right? He did, yes. So, does that different, doesn't that differentiate, um, that, doesn't that differentiate uh, him from all other prophets, false, or, well, I mean, not necessarily prophets, but those who speak about how you get to God? It did differentiate him, yes. He fulfilled prophecy, and it did differentiate him, yes. And... Uh, I, I guess that was one one of the quote answers. I guess that's an answer to a question you asked. I think in episode three fifty five, which was a long time ago. And what was the question, Jace? 
The question was, how do we know if what we're saying is true? And so, and the answer is? Well, well, how, how, do, how do we know if Jesus is truly telling the truth? And my answer is, miracles? he performed miracles. Okay. Um. That, like, you, you could say whatever, um, but then uh, everyone needed proof that it was really God who was telling, it was really God here. Because those proofs, the proof was, according to Isaiah and to Ezekiel, that the signs that would follow the true Messiah would the uh, eyes of the blind would be open and the deaf would hear and the lame would leap. And so he fulfilled that according to prophecy of him. Jesus in the new commandment said, the way that people will know that you are my disciples, which to me means you're walking in truth, is how you love. Ah. That's the miracle of this day and age because we're not going to be doing the miracles Jesus did. They were, they were for him to reveal who he was. And so that differentiates him from, like, Joseph Smith or uh, Muhammad. Well, that differentiates Jesus from them, yes. But uh, we wouldn't know Joseph Smith was a true prophet by miracles that he did or Muhammad by miracles that he did. We know from the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is gonna, would perform miracles as well. Miracles can be very uh, a dangerous way to place your faith because people can do those by a power that's different than God. Jesus said many would cast out devils in his name, that, and that means they actually cast the devils out. And Jesus would say, I don't know who you are. So I think you're kind of comparing apples to avocados in, in, this, in what you're doing with epistemology. But we'll talk again, Jace. We got four people waiting. I really appreciate you watching. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. We're going to Father John. Father John. Ooh, I think it's our first Catholic father, if this is what he is. Hey, Father John. Yes. How are you? Uh, is this Sean? This is. Oh, okay. Yeah, my name's uh, Father John. I'm uh, a pastor of a small uh, independent Catholic community here in Middlebury, Vermont, and. I just want to say I've watched your show for a few years now, and I really love your ministry and love what you do. Uh, we're probably a little more liturgical than what you might do, but you're just always spot on, and you amaze me every week with the things that you say and the scripture that you point out. And I just wanted to comment that uh, we were just meeting with some of my folks here about what to do about taking up collections, and an older Catholic tradition was they didn't at one time, they didn't take collections during the liturgy. They had a poor box in the pack of the church. You had just talked about a box, and we were just talking about that a week ago in one of our meetings here, and and uh, we were pointing out, I, the scripture reference still escapes me. I don't have a Bible with me this second, but where in 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 the New Testament where it says to give to give freely and give happily. You yeah. know, if it's, if it's not going to make you happy to give, you know, don't give that time, you know? Yeah. yeah. And... And it's like we were just discussing that, and I happened to be doing some stuff around here and heard you say that, and I was like, just like, wow, we were just talking about that. Awesome. That was awesome. And, Are you going to do it? Um, oh, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, we're just, the box is going to be there. We're not, we're not passing a basket during the offertory part of the Mass or anything, because um, we, we're a very small community here. We're the only church of our kind here, and the people that do come here are very poor around here, and it's oh. been 
I found that when we try passing a basket, it just it puts some people on the spot, and you know, you know. So it's back there. If they want to put something in it, they can. If they don't, they don't have it to put in. They don't. They, but some of our people here also give in other ways through their talents, their time, and you know. And we seem to get by for the time that we've been around here in this town. And wow. And yeah, and you know. But my bishop is, has watched an episode of your show with me, and he 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 really loves you too. He's like, he's, he's, and we both agree that you would make an awesome independent Catholic priest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I used um, to be I used to be really critical of of Catholicism, but I have discovered uh, that some of the most devout followers of Christ Jesus, uh, in fact, uh, uh, former support former Latter Day Saint in this state is uh, uh, now a practicing uh, devout Catholic. And I think there's people who need, need the liturgy and they need the ritual and that's part of their life. Sure. So whatever, go for it. Yeah, and um, actually, actually our particular segment, we're a non-papal Catholic church. Oh. Uh, we, have, we have the, I don't know how much you might know about apostolic succession. I mean, we, we have the same lineages that they do. We're just not under the thumb of the Pope, which does free us up to do more of what we feel is right as, as local congregations because we're not under that papal authority so, that, so much. And, that's really great. And yeah, like our priests don't, we don't take vows of celibacy. We're allowed to even date and marry if we so choose to someday. Uh, I'm not. Maybe I will become yet, a Catholic. <laughs> What's that? Maybe yeah. I will become yeah. a Catholic. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, we do it was so funny. I played you, like I said, I played some episodes of my bishop of uh, some of your shows on YouTube and, and he was just really amazed by what you do, and, and he, we both we both agree you would make an awesome independent Catholic priest. <laughs> we could use people like you, and um, well, we thanks. love your theology and how you go about things. And I just wanted to comment and say that I'll get off the phone here real quick, so thanks, get, my brother. You know, get some callers in to you know go a little in debt with you, but we just want to say we really love your show here. So. Thanks, thanks so much uh, for watching. I really appreciate it, John. Oh, yes, thank you. And if I could just give you a quick blessing, uh, may Almighty God bless you and should cause his face to shine upon you. In nominate Patri, a video of Spirit to Sancti, Amen. Amen. Thank you, and you have a good night. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. I just got a Catholic blessing. <laughs> I need it. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, we're going to Jeff from uh, Danbury, Connecticut. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, I just this is great timing because uh, I just want to comment on, on John actually that not, I'm not going to call him father because there's only one father that we should call and that's the one up in heaven. Uh -huh. But I just went to a Catholic funeral the other day. We had a friend that passed away and I preached the gospel to him. Uh, he was older about 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 a month ago, and he did deny the Lord. He was he was a drunk. He was a cursing and I, and I got to argue with him because he kept using the N word. But it turned out he passed away, and in the service, listening to the Catholic teaching, they were saying that this man was saved over seven years ago when he got baptized. Oh. And so like, well, I'm like, wow, they really believe baptism saves a person. I mean, I can't think of anything more damaging. So I, my point is to go back to your, what you're trying to say is, the reason why we have so many denominations is this man was teaching these false things, but no one stood up to rebuke it. And so I think when we vote with our feet and we walk away, we actually cause more denominations, whereas the church, of like Corinth or these other buildings, or not buildings, I shouldn't say, but these gatherings, they mm -hmm. would 
openly talk about these things, and that, that's why I like how you do it, because you open the phone. You call. You hear us. You change sometimes of what, you, what, you, what the people say. Yeah. And I think that's a very important uh, problem, to have a, the preacher with a pulpit and, and their authority that they say is the Word of God, but it's really theirs, that yeah. goes unrebuked and them talking, and it's not an open discussion. Yeah. I just want to get your feedback. No, I think you're, I think you're uh, dead right to, to that perspective on the preacher has spoken, the thinking's been done. And, uh, you know, on, on our Sundays, uh, Jeff, we open up after I've taught uh, to people who have questions or comments. And we frequently have people who add to what I've said or they change, they have a different view, they're willing to speak. We've had people who've stand up and shouted and ran out. Uh, but, it, you know, I, and, I, and, and it's true. Because a pastor has got a Ph.D. in the body of Christ does not make him or her any more qualified than someone who is spirit-filled. And we've yeah. lost that in this, in this world of authority and, and, and church. So I agree with you. When the pastor has spoken, the thinking has just begun, and then the people take what he has said and decide whether they're going to believe it or not. Can I, yeah, can, yeah. I, can I ask you something, though? Yes. There's a tension that goes on in the Bible that I'm discovering more and more. And for everything we make a stance on, we see something else that absolutely counters it. For instance, when Jason Wallace was on, he was talking about circumcision and how Paul said, if you are circumcised, you are nothing to Christ. But Paul himself went and he took, was it Titus or Timothy, to be circumcised. Mm -hmm. So we have this tension between these two polarized views that are presented. And the reason I'm bringing this up, Jeff, is because you said, I'm not going to call John father because the Bible says Jesus taught, call no man father, there is one. In James, we, we've just been talking about how James said to go and visit, uh, in their time of affliction, the fatherless. And the Greek is the same word as what we call God the Father, potter. Mm -hmm. So James referred to people's daddies as their fathers, and yet we have Jesus saying, call no man fatherless in the very same book. So how do you deal with the tensions that come up between two things like that? You just made a stance. I really like John's comment, but I'm not going to call him father. And yet James does. Yes. Yeah, so the one I see James is he's actually talking about someone's physical father, whereas the other father is more uh, oh. in ref reference to something of a, a higher authority. Than I man. see. Hey, that's that's a good insight. I, I haven't I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just how I took it. I, I know nothing. But when I read it, that's the first thing that came to my mind. That's good. I, I, that, that makes some sense to me. So, good point. Good point. Hey, just so you know, before I get off, yeah. I went to University of Utah, so I'm not that far from you. Uh, I, I used to be in your neck of the woods, so. <laughs> so, have you, uh, have you uh, what are you doing out there in Danbury? Danbury. I, I'm, uh, I'm a home parent right now, and uh, that's, that's what I do. That's my ministry. <laughs> that's a big ministry. And my wife, I got five kids, and uh, oh. I can't wait to get out here because it's like freezing and snowing every day. <laughs> Well, come visit us because we're having the warmest winter ever. Thanks so much, Jeff, for <laughs> watching. Sounds good. Thank you. God bless. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to David on line three. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. Doing all right. Hey, I was just wondering, is this an accurate definition of what you're talking about? You believe that the church is all believers of all time? I believe the church is all believers at all times. 
all believers of all time. In other words, that all people who are believers in Jesus are members of the body. Okay. Yeah. But how do so how do you I how do you biblically define uh, church in in those terms? I don't necessarily see one church in the Bible. I see uh, churches. Yeah. In other words, I I think the Bible uses the word church to describe the local assembly. Yeah. Of believers. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And there is a there is a difference, and they are synonymous in the Bible. But here's my here's my point on this, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, the churches were known by their location only. The church at Corinth, the church in Galatia. They weren't known as Presbyterian or Methodist. When they tried to do that and say, I was baptized by Paul or I was baptized by Apollos, they shut that down and said, knock it off. We're one body. So we have both things being applied. I am suggesting that the body is truly what matters. The physical location is full of wheat and tares, good fish and bad fish. That is not what God is collecting, those individual locations. He is collecting the true believers from those individual locations. And the body of Christ is the bride. That is what God, the spiritual body, is what God has, has been collecting over the ages. One last point on this. Those churches that were established at Corinth and Galatia and all those other places, the seven churches um, of uh, Asia Minor, they were all taken, in my opinion, in 70 AD by Christ. That was the church that the gates of hell did not prevail against. The church now that the gates of hell does not prevail against is the body of believers who are spiritually his, while the physical locations of different denominations mean nothing. Does that make any sense? I, it makes sense if you're from a denominational mindset, whereas I'm an independent Baptist, so it doesn't make any sense. Because I would say that denominationalism is wrong as well. I, I mean, I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe that there should be a hierarchy of from the top down telling churches what to believe. So if you're coming from the context of Mormonism or Methodism or something like that, it makes sense. But if, you, if you're a, a Baptist that believes that the church is a local assembly of baptized believers, that doesn't make any sense. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Or, I do. Like, and I think, that, I think that is the church. I do agree with you. And I know it sounds like I'm speaking on both sides of my mouth, but the body of Christ and church are used synonymously in the New Testament. So I don't have a wow. problem with that. But what I'm saying is the real church, the real church the, is spiritual. And it's believers who have been converted who visit those local uh, physical establishments. And I don't. I, I think I, I think that there will there will be the church in that sense someday, but not yet, because the church means congregation or or a called out assembly. And so I think that we will be assembled with all believers someday. But we are not currently assembled with all believers. I think all. Tr- I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, I disagree to an extent because yeah. I think that we're only assembled with the believers that we congregate with weekly or biweekly or whatever it is. I get your point. The calling out is the calling out from the world of individual believers, and a person can be called out by the Holy Spirit and never step foot 
in a physical congregation church and be as much of a part of the body as someone who goes to the physical church every day and they live in the same neighborhood. So that... Oh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I understand that. I just, I think that um, maybe there needs to be a definition drawn between that there will be an assembling of all believers. I think that even people within congregations that preach the right gospel of salvation, salvation by faith alone, there are people who sit in those congregations every week who mm-hmm. will not be present in heaven or assembled with believers because they don't believe. Right. But, but currently, there is only congregations of believers locally, and someday there will be one congregation before the throne, but that's not right now. Yeah, and, yeah, and so it's a difference, David, between us, because I believe the congregation has been gathered and is assembled uh, spiritually here and in heaven and continues to get added to and will continue throughout time. Uh, so it's a difference of opinion. We are out of time, but David, you've given me a lot of food for thought. We'll keep working through this stuff and see if we can come to some consensus. All right, man. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Do we have any time at all? We have no time at all. We are done. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't be This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know, and I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.